pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground. Get on your knees, because we need to be small. We're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice. <laughs> I mean, and I, I don't want to compare my kid to dogs. It might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> when will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm. This one's a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Angreement. It is our podcast, the podcast with Michelle and Catherine. Where? And every fortnight. Fortnight. Every fortnight. What do we do, Michelle? We bring you a weird thing, a pop culture thing, and a research thing. And then we try to smoosh them all together in a way that seems fitting, but makes sense to us. And we're going to do it again. I don't know who's the first. That's, that's, that's. I am first. That is my job. (laughs) My weird thing is not necessarily about animals, but it is about nature. I know that I am, I really lean heavy on animals. Oh yeah. We do have a lot of animal. I mean, you know, animals are just pretty cool. They're very cool. I just can't go back to that well quite yet. So instead I had I had a really cool event that I'll talk a little bit about, but I want to ask you, Michelle, do you know or do you want to guess what the world's, your face says maybe not, <laughs> what the world's largest single organism is? The world's largest single, is it, isn't it a blue whale? Good guess. And a blue whale is... The biggest animal. Oh, okay. Okay. But okay. fair. Well, we're not talking animals this week. No, I should have, I should have taken the clue and been like, well, it can't be an animal. Cause she said, she's not going back to the animal. Well, I gave you a very good context. Clue. You did. You did. I, I it's late. I'm tired. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I won't make you Do you want to guess more or no? Cause you were tired. I'm not, well, no, I'm just like, I don't know that many giant. So it's like a plant or a fungus. A fungus is a very good guess. And what I'm about to tell you, I think is a little debated about whether it's by like space it takes up or by weight. Oh, okay. Okay. And so this is the largest single organism by weight for sure. I don't, I am not going to accurately guess it, but I am very curious. Some, Some would say that there is a fungus that takes up like thousands of acres and but it doesn't weigh as much. That's it. So this is like a sequoia. They'll get really big, right? Sequoias are the biggest single trees. Okay. But now, now you're so close, you're burning a pot. The largest single organism in the world is Pando, which is a clonal colony of three quaking aspen trees in Utah. Okay. So technically, technically... The largest single organism in the world is a quaking aspen tree. 
But but the largest of the largest is this triplet tree. Well, usually quaking aspen trees are not that huge. Oh, okay. I learned a lot. I'll get into why, but I learned so much about aspen trees this week. I'll tell you why, but I'm obsessed with them now. But basically, if considered single entities, the largest organisms are clonal colonies of quaking aspirins, which can spread over large areas. And so it's not necessarily the tree itself. These are like three trees, but it's their root system because they all share these root systems. And quaking aspens are really cool because they can reproduce in in many different ways. They have spores, they have their flowers and pollen, they have eggs, they have male and female flowers on male and female trees, but they can also just clone themselves through their root system. I think we talked here about um, Lab Girl before, the Hope Jarin book, and um, she mentioned in there that there's a willow that, like, it when it drops branches, they can go, they can flow down a river, and if it takes root, it is technically the same tree, and it can be growing in two different places, but because they're genetically the same. Take that space-time quantum physicists. There you go. The, one of the reasons Pando is so big is that much like humans. Quaking aspens are usually diploids where they get, you know, half of their information from a mother, half of their information from a father. And sometimes some of that information does not split correctly. And then they get three sets of information. And so Pando is a triploid and something about that genetic mutation, it just keeps growing and growing and growing and it doesn't stop. Plus, any quaking aspen, just not just panda, their root systems are really, really resilient. And so even if the trees burn or they die, the root system can keep going for a long time. Pando is thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. It's also one of the oldest living organisms on earth. It is 6 million kilograms and it covers- I can't even like- Right? Like, I don't even know what that, those are just- giant numbers, right? It's like the juggle callback when you're juggling lots of things and you get more than five. I don't know. It's just a lot. It's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. I can't hold 6 million kilograms in my mind. I don't know. It's a lot. And it covers 108 acres, which also I, I never understood how big an acre was. So, and it's several thousand years old. Like I said, the, the root system covers 108 acres or like the actual above ground, what you can see of these triplets covers that much. The root system. Okay. Okay. But then I learned all of these cool things about quaking aspen trees. Do you know what a quaking aspen tree looks like? I do not. I realized that I am an idiot that often confuse them for birch trees. So they're those white, they have white um, bark and they're super, super smooth. They can photosynthesize through their bark. Ooh. Is that why it's like so smooth? Like, wow. It's really papery. So they just uh, developed like every way. They're like, we will survive. We are going to get like all of the ways to survive. We're just going to get them all. Yeah. They grow differently at different altitudes so they can adapt better. And you can also with their bark, which can photosynthesize, which is very rare. You can make... It's like yeast. You could make a sourdough starter with aspen bark, which of course I was very obsessed with. Last 
Friday. Who knows what that means now when this podcast comes out. On a Friday in October, <laughs> I went to an event. It was put on um, in part by a museum called Black Cube, which is a really cool museum in the area. Thing is, they're a nomadic museum. So they don't really put on exhibitions in a space that they have. They try to, you know, go out into the world and how can we have more arts events and exhibitions all over the place. And so this art happening that I went to on Friday was by Ben Kinsley, awesome, awesome artist, cool friend. But I do also just want to shout out if I haven't on the podcast already, he has something along with Jessica Langley at their house called the Yard Project because they moved to Colorado Springs and all of a sudden had yard space for the first time. They had moved from New York City and they didn't want to really maintain it. They didn't want to know what to do with it. So it's just rotating art exhibitions in their yard, which are really, really cool. Anyway, Ben Kinsley, along with Black Cube, had this thing called Tree Talks Populous Tremuloids. And now just to really quick do it justice, because I want to, I'm going to read from the Tree Talks website and I'll link to it. So it's an art project that takes the form of a year-long series of events focused on understanding a single tree through a multitude of perspectives. And the inaugural year will focus on populous tremuloids, which are quaking aspens, the most widely distributed tree in North America which we now know why, because they're really good at living it, living, live, laugh, love, tremuloids. And they're Colorado's only widespread native deciduous tree. Once per season, summer, fall, winter, spring, over the course of a calendar year, the public will be invited to gather around a grove of quaking aspen at Kenosha Pass. And there's just a wide range of experts that talk at these things. It was really amazing. It was very cold. It's very, very cold. And oh, was this was that. Okay. I think I only originally told you that I was very cold. I did not dress <laughs> correctly for it at all. I, I The memo said dress warm and I have not lived in Colorado long enough to understand what that means. But it, it did not mean a hoodie, huh? Didn't mean like a light jean jacket. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> it was like 20 degrees and everyone else was in ski gear and I didn't even have a hat. But... It's just, it was a really, really cool thing where you got to hear different experts and artists and you sat in this grove of aspens and it was so cool. And I learned so much about them and I don't know how weird that is, but I'm going to say that's my weird thing because I, yeah. the fact that you could make yeast from tree bark is cool. Very cool to me. And as we have already discussed, weird thing has quickly become this sort of whatever we want to throw there this week is the, the rotating, you know, yeah. a, a thing. I, I didn't want to make it research because it's not my research. It's Ben Kinsley's research. So thank you. Thank you, Ben. And I talked everyone's ear off that I know about Aspens and it took everything not to talk your ear off about them, which is why you only got the version of, I was really cold this weekend. <laughs> Yes. No, I didn't get to hear. Well, and I guess, you know, if you were saving it for here, you can't tell me ahead of time. We could, we could, you know, rig it and come up Mm -hmm. with our 
That's what we do for the podcast. We don't um we, we don't talk things. to each other. We hide things from each other. <laughs> no, we were talking to each other still. We just That's hide true. parts of our lives. From we will we'll be having a, a phone conversation. Oh wait, no, I can't tell you that yet. Like just, that multiple times. You're yeah. like, nope. No, that's for the podcast. That's later. That's for later. You can't hear about that. Um, okay. I like it. That's a great weird thing. Your weird thing is so much happier than mine. My weird thing is sad this week. I don't okay. know, but it, was, it just, it just struck me as so weird that I was like, well, it is a weird thing. And it's also quick because I feel like my research thing is going to take forever. So oh, I right. wanted to try to balance it out a bit. So, um, in 1986 in Lake Nios, Nios or Neos, I'm gonna go with Nios, um, every living thing within a 15 mile radius died instantly. This feels so the opposite of mine. <laughs> Let me tell you about this wonderful life that never dies. <laughs> Everything's dead. Everything died. And so it was terrifying because like people came and like, an entire village. The the so three villages were impacted, and one of them, the entire village was wiped out. Like everybody, um, like anim, animals were dead, birds were dead, insects were dead. Everything was dead. And were, were people dead? Yes. Whoa. Yes. Everything. Not dead. to be hierarchical about nature and care most about human beings, but I'm like, surely people didn't die. And oh, most man. of them were sleeping when it happened. So. <gasps> Like a whole bunch of people went to sleep and never woke up again. But most creepy was that like other people came up to this place after it had happened and there was just bodies of all kinds, human bodies, animal bodies, insect bodies everywhere for a 15 mile radius and 1986. Like we were alive, we were babies, alive. but we were alive and I have never heard of this before. Like, you know, they were terrified. They're like, what happened? Right. And, you know. I'm sure there were theories of like aliens and all kinds, like what in the world did this? And after investigation, they found out that the lower levels of Lake Neos had been saturated with CO2 because it had been coming up from an extinct volcano and it had rained a lot. So a huge bubble of CO2 rose from the lake. So basically it was like the lake burped. And the CO2 is heavier than normal air. So it rolled along the ground like a cloud and just everyone it hit died, like just, just killed every living thing that, so it made me think of the, I, I watched the hunger games with my daughter recently. And there's a scene where there's like this poison gas and you can like see it rolling. And I was like, that, like, that really happened. And people just died. Like it just instantaneous death, a cloud of it. And um, so after they figured out that that was happening, they, they installed pipes to siphon off the CO2 so that it wouldn't build up like that and happen again. Um, but they did start investigating it in other lakes and they started giving warnings that this could happen. Like this, this could build up and then we could just have this giant burp of CO2 that could come out and roll across the land and kill everything that it touches. So there, that's my weird thing. Cheery. I have no words. That is the weirdest weird thing we've ever had, I think. Isn't it, is it just horrifying? I've never heard of it. But that's, I think that's what is weird about it to me. And it makes me think that like, we intentionally don't talk about it because how terrifying is that, right? Like we, you just want to think that you have some sense of control and some sense of like, but I mean, you know, like what are you supposed to do if there's, terrifying lake gas that could just at any time roll along the land and wipe you out. I mean, not live by a lake. 
be an ocean person. I not to not to bring up uh I don't know divides, but I'm an ocean gal and lakes scare me. There's been too many times we went we went um on our vacation in Arkansas we went to a lake and it was closed right yeah was that lake was yeah it was and it was also not oh, like it was supposed to be a waterfall and we went and there was like no water it was very it was it it was very devastating like. Like it looked very devastating. Like it was a very depressing kind of. Let's go hike in nature. Oh, your not. children were so unhappy. Yeah. Your son <laughs> was just like, "Where's the waterfall? When do we get to the waterfall?" I'm like, that was it. That was the one. And he was just like, <laughs> like, "I will never trust you again." Like, I don't know what's wrong with you people, but that was not a waterfall. It's gonna be like a primal moment in therapy. And my mom told me there was a waterfall, and she <laughs> we, showed me this. We thing. hiked for miles. We hiked for miles and she pointed at dry rocks and said, there's your waterfall. <laughs> there's also a very scary bridge that he did not Oh, like. man. Yeah, he's a, he has a lot of fears. He is the single most weirdest, coolest, most himself child I've ever known in my life. Which is saying a lot because your daughter is also that. Well, but he has the added benefit of having spent his most formative years in complete isolation without the pressures of anyone else. So he is extra weird. That's the thing. When I say like, I've never met a, a living being that is so much themselves. And you're like, you're just, you're formed. And I can't wait to see, I can't wait to, to just know you throughout your life forever. <laughs> he is, he's very... <laughs> Just very nope. does his own thing. I'm sure this is great podcast listeners. <laughs> right, right. Don't you don't know him, but like, don't you want to now? Anyway, someday you will. So, so just to recap, like a volcanic lake of death burped. So for, at first they were like, oh, the volcano must have erupted under the lake. And and scientists were like, no, this volcano is extinct. And so there was a big debate over that. Um, and it turns out that the volcano is extinct, but there was still co2 gas like just slowly seeping into a big pocket and i you know this is certainly not my area of expertise and it is not my research thing so even i am just telling you that everyone and everything within a 15 mile radius died that is the extent of my message for you today but yeah so that it was an extinct volcano so you can't even avoid it just by being i know just by avoiding lakes by active volcanoes that even an extinct volcano can have this risk Okay, moving yeah. on. I don't. I cannot add anything to that horrific, weird thing. I apologize in advance for how lame my pop culture is. You apologize for your pop culture a lot, and it's often just fine. Like in pop culture, like I could talk about TV. I- no, that's much like animals. I told myself, no more TV, no more just what's Catherine watching on Netflix. Although it's almost Hallmark Christmas movie season, so oh. watch out. There's well, you're this, saving it up for that then. There's a Hallmark movie uh, called The Nine Kittens of Christmas, <laughs> and it has no description that I can find. I will say, so sorry. all I can think about is how kittens have nine lives, and I'm just like, <laughs> the kittens just, just dying kill. and resurrecting. Like, but I'm sure that's not it. It's the worst advent box ever. Every day, nine days before Christmas, you get a kitten that you have to kill. See what happens. 
Hallmark got weird this year. COVID, COVID wasn't good for them. It's a dark time. There was, usually Hallmark movies are very easy to understand, right? Big city, bad. Working woman, bad. Until she doesn't work. Small town, good. Family, good. There was one that I watched that was a fall harvest movie. It's a whole different thing. That was all about the woman wanted to get her mass to pass the master sommelier exam, which is like a very bougie yeah. thing. And they knew all about it. And it was all about her parents owned a vineyard. And then they had a new winemaker come who wanted to make natural wine. And so it was just like, he was her love interest, but the world was not ready for natural wine. And she loved it, but she kept failing the sommelier exam because she loved natural wine too much. And I was just like, what is Hallmark doing? Who is this for? And then I found out that Hallmark is selling a range of wines. Oh. And it all made sense. Are they natural wines? No. <laughs> so this was just one Definitely giant not. one giant commercial for Hallmark wines. Yes, it was. But buy it. Maybe they are natural. I don't know. You can't. I don't even know what kind of wine they are. They're like, they're called like love and Wait, snowflake what's a frost. not natural wine? Isn't wine just it, like. What, it's what a is, whole. Well, natural wine is like, it's called a ton of things. And I think we, people have finally landed on natural. For a while, it was called like biodynamic or like low. I am not, I am not a wine. Intervention. I, I am sorry because I, I really do love natural wine. It's like my favorite. And really, if I've given the choice, I will only drink natural wine. But basically, it's wine in which the winemakers try to be just very low intervention. So they won't, oftentimes they won't use, it's very, they won't use pesticides. It's so, usually much smaller. And then- So like the when we left that cranberry juice in my- We were natural <laughs> my, my, my old trailer for seven that months. And then- was perfect. Yeah, yeah, we were, okay. Michelle and I once when we were, I don't know, junior high, high school, we left a jar of cranberry, a bottle of cranberry juice out to see if it would ferment. And it, could, it did. It did. <laughs> we, we didn't not- want to be bad kids. We weren't bad kids. We didn't want to drink. We didn't want to do drugs, but we also kind of did. So we would like try to ferment cranberry juice. We would, once we did try to smoke banana pills <laughs> because we heard it in a dead milkman song. <laughs> it didn't work out. <laughs> I just watched you play Zelda forever and rolled around on the floor. <laughs> oh, goodness. Much- this episode is just going to be like, what is this? I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, watching you play Ocarina of Time is something I did anyway. So Yeah, no, that we didn't need any substances to, to turn anyway. that into it a, a day. Anyway, this has been so long to not talk about my pop culture. <laughs> So natural wine is like, yeah, they, they, they try to leave it alone and then they don't add like any sulfites. They don't, there's a lot of things that get, can, can get added, especially to bigger, more commercial wines. And they just don't do that. Okay. And so a lot of times the taste of it is more sour or more funky or weird. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so 
but but my pop culture thing. Mainly, I just want to ask you about it. What's up with what's up with the Kanye West mask, Michelle? I don't I don't know. I I saw a meme that was like Kanye West is wearing like Croc boots or something, and like yes, that's obviously the thing we should be focused on in this because it was the one reason the the because he has multiple masks now. He's been photographed in like very into masks. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean, he had his whole um, Donda Phantom of the Opera period where he was in the stadium, living in the stadium, wearing masks. He changed his name. He is officially Yay. He's Yay. He got a really bad haircut. And then, for those of you who don't know, and I will link the page six article in the show notes, in Venice, he wore like a green kind of monster alien mask. And then in New York, he went for a coffee date with Michael Cohen. And in order to get left alone by fans and paparazzi, he put on this kind of somewhat realistic white woman with like a smoky eye, but bald, no Ooh, hair. I, didn't, mask. I think I missed that one. But- oh, did you not see the Michael Cohen mask, Michelle? No, no, I didn't see the Michael Cohen mask. Okay. So I, okay. Cause yeah, the masks have been interesting that he's talking about masks, but this it takes it to a whole new level. All right. I'm opening it. Up. Michelle's going to look at it and you could, this could be a good moment for you to go to the show notes and look at it. Oh, oh yeah. No, this is not the one I saw. They're actually having the coffee. What is that? Oh no. Okay. I'm glad we got your in the moment reaction to that. So yeah, he's there's so many questions. He's and and the question is not why is he wearing crock boots? Why is he this is his second meeting with Michael Cohen? And him. and how does this protect? I mean, because obviously this draw this drew more attention than not wearing a mask and everybody knows that it is him. So like what purpose is it serving? He says the purpose is so he doesn't need a security and he can be anonymous, but he's there's you're, you're looking at paparazzi photos of him. And then the paparazzi talked to Michael Cohen after and Michael Cohen was like, yeah, it didn't stop anyone from coming up to him. If anything, more people came up to him. But Kanye says he's enjoyed being able to walk around New York City without security because of this mask. Hmm. I hope he's okay. Like, just as a, like, human hoping another human is doing okay. I hope he's okay. Yeah. I don't, I have nothing really to say about it. I just wanted to ask you, like, what's up with that? What do we think about that? My pop culture thing is fairly short unless we want to angry together about it, in which case we could probably make it long. So I'm going to try really hard not to spoil any of these shows that I'm about to talk about because I don't, it's not so much the shows themselves that I want to talk about as it is this particular thing in them. Um, And two of them are pretty recent that they came out. So I'm trying not to spoil them, but I am frustrated because three very good shows that I have enjoyed watching recently all had the same problem in the end. Was the, you pointing I'm at me? I'm going to angry. I'm. I might just. I might just argue with you. Oh, oh! I saw your Facebook about a certain show. What? 
No. Okay. Well, we're, this is going to have to change the name of the podcast because we're, we're <laughs> dis, dis angry. <laughs> dis angry. <laughs> Welcome to so, dis angry. It's been just watching. an argument. But okay, but we got to try not to spoil it. I don't know. All right. So maybe, maybe we'll just have to give a spoiler warning. So I, I watched only murders in the building. That was my like family show that my husband, my daughter and I all watched together. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I thought that the last episode was just absolute crap. Like it felt like all it was, was trying to set up season two. It felt very imbalanced. It didn't, it went, it has always been um, in between sort of like the slapstick and then sort of this darker noir. And it just like went off the rails. Like it just went like, it was like watching something like a teeter totter going crazy. It did not feel polished and it felt desperate to me um, in a way that I just found really kind of insulting as a viewer. I was like, I know you're capable of doing better because I watched you do better for what, nine episodes. And this feels like a desperation grab for like, please give us a renewed season. Please, please look. Maybe I'm so used to the beats of any television season now that is 10 episodes is actually nine episodes. And I don't, and the I is am not okay with it. The next I'm season. not. So, so that's actually, so the thing I want to talk about is uh, Kevin Kenef himself did the same thing to uh-huh. a lesser extent of these only murders in the building was the most extreme, but the same thing where like, it, I really liked the show. And then instead of like, writing a conclusion, it felt like they were like, we have to make sure we can keep this open for a second season. And then I also feel like Squid Game did that. And I... Um, oh, yeah. I, Squid Game bugged me. That bugged me, the ending of that. Yeah. And, and like, I'm okay with, like, the ending. I, I'm trying really hard not to spoil this. I'm okay with all of the other components of the ending, even the ones that aren't, like... Even the ones that I could analyze and be like, eh, I don't know if that's quite the way that I... That, like, if it did what it was trying to do other fine right but the very end of the ending was just this like let me the make air, sure the, i have a on spot the airplane for, yeah yeah hated it hated it hated it and and i just feel like and now you're saying that this is just you just assume if you're 10 episodes i do i do as someone who consumes mass amounts of television i know that in general if something is eight episodes it's really seven if it's 10 it's really nine that last episode is just going to be a wrap it up quick and open it back up. I hate it. In fact, I often avoid watching shows when I can, when it, when I'm not like, when I feel like I can safely avoid spoilers enough to still enjoy them. I don't want to watch a show until it's series finale has aired because I'm so frustrated by shows that just don't know how to end. And I, like, um, I used to watch the walking dead and this is the worst offender of that. Right. Like I, they just, it was a really good show for some seasons. I don't know exactly where to draw the line, but for a while it was a really good show. And then it became an okay show. And then it became a, like, are you all gonna, no, no, you're just not going to write any, <laughs> and, not- no, you're going to keep. Okay. I, 
I'm not going to watch this with you, you just but created a perpetual motion machine. Right. That's- right. You just literally take the same characters and cycle them through the same plot over and okay, well, good. Go make your money, I guess. Um, and I, <laughs> so like it, it, it burned me so bad that I'm now like, is, is it still on the air? I'm not watching it. I'm not watching it until I know they can conclude it. Cause I don't want to watch something forever. Like I want a story and I want it to finish. You have to know when to quit. I now have started like when they start talking about a show, I go to find out if the showrunner has storyboarded out how many seasons there are supposed to be. Because if they haven't, I'm like, "Mm, that is a red flag to me. That means that you don't have a plan for this. I don't know. I think part of my problem with why I was not angry about the end of that is I am such a sucker for anything Steve Martin creates. I don't like this about myself, but it's something I know about myself. Um, He wrote, I can't remember the title of it right now. He wrote a book about the art world. I read that book. It was really good. The movie Shop Girl. I don't think I should have liked it, but like I did. No, I I have a soft spot for Steve Martin. And I agree. It's the exact same way. Like Shop Girl, I'm like, oh, this is not, this is not. And from an objective sense, like if I went to evaluate what this is, I would be like, this is not good, but I still enjoyed it because yeah. like, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. with you. Like I, I will like, watch him do almost anything. A I will lot. watch him do anything. <clears throat> and I think I was blinded then to any shortcomings of that episode because of him in the elevator with the sting song. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. Oh, no. And it was, that was like peak Steve Martin. You got, I mean, it's like, put it in my veins, right? Like, a, <laughs> like <laughs> absolutely. Um, wow, but, crazy. But once you step back a little bit, I think you're going to okay. realize that the rest of that episode was not great. That it is, it is hanging on that peg. Okay. Well, okay. Well, then I won't ever watch it again. I'll just leave my brain full of happy, happy. Yeah. I love Steve. Yeah. When he stood up to give the speech and I knew, I knew. I'm like, he's not standing. <laughs> um, no, there were moments that were certainly enjoyable. But as uh, on the whole, it did not. And they can do it because the other episodes were good. They were a good mix of that silly and serious. They were a good... Um, the plot, the pacing was good. I did not believe the the villain um, oh. of this whole like that pacing was terrible. Like it it felt like watching the last episodes of Game of Thrones. Like they were like, let's just do it, get it all oh, together. No, I agree with you because I'm like, yeah, I saw it coming, and I hated it. I hated who the villain was, and I'm like, oh. All yeah. Oh, I agree with you. I'm agreeing with You're you. You're agreeing. We brought it back. I got there. I got there. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's worth it for watching Steve Martin in the elevator with the Sting song. Oh, I love it. Well, and then they're probably going to get a season two. So we're rewarding this behavior. And how do we make it stop? How do we let creators yeah. write conclusions without having to feel like there's they have to like dangle the carrots in order to keep their money coming? Because I understand like. I understand that they want to make sure that they have the financial security and the backing to be able to continue making their show like that. It's their, that's their job. But I feel like we have done something wrong that we've created this oh, space yeah, where you totally can't just stand, finish like, a I, season. Yeah. I feel like in many ways that comes from fandom out of control. Yeah. 
where if there's enough clamor, you can get a show back. And I get the feeling this is what TV is now. But then there's also like, would people do well enough? Like we're just giving them like free, like, I, like, I don't know. I think about, um, like Donald Glover in Atlanta and he's like, I, it's coming when I give it to you. Like you should, like, you'll get it when I decide you'll get it. Like I, and, and he, and he's still getting signed to all of these exclusive deals because when you are good enough, then we're like, well, okay, I guess we'll sit here and wait for the show and get it in whatever form it comes in. And we don't get to say how it, you know, like, so I yeah, do think- when it has an end, it's going to, ha- I'm sure he will. It, now it's done. And that's all we wanted to tell, but shows like that. And that's like a very also British model of very short and it's done. And we're going to move on to another project and maybe it's a different type of creator. And that kind of creation isn't rewarded now, but yeah, of, of, and I don't want to invest in authorship. I hate authorship, but kind of like someone who has enough ideas and believes in something enough and loves something enough to say, no, this is done now. Yeah. And I don't want to. Yeah. Like I, I finished that and now I'm going to go do something else. Like, yeah. So yeah, that's my pop. My pop culture thing is just, I want things to just be able to exist and I'm not saying that everything has to be one season either. Like, and so, and maybe that's part of it too, is the, just that the payment model is like, you have to make sure that your season one is sufficient for us to give you a season two. So you have to almost write multiple conclusions, right? Cause you have to be able to wrap up season one because if season two never comes, you still want it to be able to stand on its own, but you're also hoping that you get season two renewed. So you can't depend on like, it makes so- for very bad television before we move on. Have you heard of, or have you watched the show you? I have heard of it, but I have not watched it. <laughs> it's, it's not like a good show. But it is one of the most entertaining things there is. It is clearly there. very catchy because it is memed to pieces. Season three just came out and I was really worried. They, they strayed from the source material a lot this season. Before it even came out, it was already announced that it had been renewed for season four. That makes you go, oh, this is going to be bad. It was great. It was probably the best season of you ever. So... They're doing okay. it, right? So they, they got well, but if they already knew that they were going to have a season four, then they didn't have to use that final episode to be like, "Please give us more money, please keep us around." So, like, maybe it's on these distributors to just be like, "Look, we're gonna if you're good enough, we're gonna give you the time to do what you need to do." Because I don't, I don't have a lot of time for TV. Like, it took us forever to watch, like. We, it's a real commitment to me right now to have time to watch an episode of television. And I just feel like I can't make these. Yeah. If there's a whole so, episode that's a throwaway, you're yeah. throwing your life away. Yeah. Stop wasting my friend's life. Yes. Entertainment industry. It's violence. Is that why you think you like American horror story and you stick with that because you know it's going to be you know I it's funny you say that we just we just quit mid-season again (laughs) so I um but so this is one I was watching with with my spouse and he will quit a show like that like I, I I'm envious like he's like whatever I'm done and I I have a really hard time with it but so like we we watch American Horror Story together 
it's one of the few places where our like interest in entertainment, like it's on our Venn diagram that overlaps, right? Because he really likes horror and I don't typically, but I like psychological thrillers. And so there's usually enough like within there. We didn't finish Cult. Cult got spoiled for me. So then I didn't finish it because like it, I, yeah. I found out about it. We didn't finish Hotel because it was just, I have never been so disturbed and so bored simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad combo. That's yeah, a terrible combo. But we really liked um, Coven and we really liked Apocalypse. Um, like Murder House is really good. I loved um, Freak Show because I love Freak, like I love circus culture stuff. I'm always really interested in that. So we were watching the most recent one, the double feature. And it's just, it was, it's fine. But so the other thing that my spouse does is he does not care about being spoiled at all. So he will just go and read what happened and then he'll know. And I'll know that he'll know. And it drives me crazy. But so he did not tell me because he knows that it drives me crazy. He did not tell me that he had already read up on, um, what happens in in this one because we watched the first few episodes before and I was like this just feels like it's really predictable but maybe it's going to do something unique and so um he went and read about it and I was like I don't know if I want to keep watching this he's like you don't <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like you don't also love you because the way I watch it I convinced my husband to watch I watched the whole season and then he watches it after I watch it so that as he watches it, he makes memes in real time. He'll screenshot it, write stuff over it, and then sends me the meme reactions as he watches it. So I get to like rewatch it through his memes. That's adorable. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I love it so much. And I will say he is currently watching the final two episodes and I had to turn on do not disturb. So it wouldn't be bing, bing, bing on the podcast. And I have 27 texts right now. <laughs> Let's see how long research takes. Let's do it. I genuinely, I'm in the middle of trying to very quickly finish an essay for an academic journal and so this is genuine research. This is like my research right now. This isn't something I saw and wanted to know more about from this is, the world. This is the real thing. Research. I don't know if I've talked about him before on the podcast. I'm sorry if I have. But today my research is about the artist Richard Bell, who is a contemporary, not Australian, we'll get into why, Aboriginal artist. Richard Bell, I was thinking, might be an artist who I think successfully is a political artist. But then I found a quote by him, and he said, I'm an activist who's pretending to be an artist. He worked for the Aboriginal Legal Coalition in Australia, and he also was very, very active in many protests for Aboriginal land rights rights in general, right? The Australia has a huge bad history of racism, especially against its indigenous peoples. And I'll talk about some of that. But he said he became an artist in large part because he wanted to say and do whatever he wanted and not get arrested for it anymore. 
And I think that speaks to this like divide between art and the world in some ways. And he said he got arrested for his protesting. He got arrested for what he said. And then he became an artist and he says and does the same things and doesn't get arrested. He has a current, a newer work called Immigration Policy that's just a map of Australia and written across it in huge letters is you can go now. I am noting I'm going to say all of this about this essay I'm writing as someone who is currently awaiting a permanent residency visa to Australia as a white woman who is desperate to get into Australia. But the work by Richard Bell, I want to talk about specifically that I didn't know he did. And it's this idea of when can art kind of intervene is that the Venice Biennale, which is one of the biggest art festivals in the whole world. And the way the Biennale works is that every participating country in the world chooses an artist from that country to represent that country. And then they have pavilions all over Venice that the artist puts a work in. At the 2019 Venice Biennale, Richard Bell created a work for the festival's opening and he made a replica of Australia's official Biennale pavilion. Then he wrapped it in chains and had it driven around the city's canals in a motorized barge, like right at the opening. So as everyone's going to the opening, they're getting off their boats. This pavilion wrapped in change is just zipping around. He was not the official representative of Australia that year. He fundraised, he sold t-shirts, he got donations so that he could get enough money to go do this at the Venice Biennale. And he is a famous enough artist that he didn't get arrested. No one stopped him. It's Richard Bell's art. And the other thing he did was in the same garden where the Australian pavilion is, where the officially sanctioned work is being shown, is he recreated something called the Aboriginal Tent Embassy. And he did this as, he said, an act of protest and education at the Venice Biennale. So I did not know about the Aboriginal Tent Embassy. And it's something I really should have known about as someone who lived in Australia. And I'm going to talk quickly. Basically, Gary Foley, who's a very important academic and activist, created the Aboriginal Tent Embassy alongside Michael Anderson, Billy Craig, Tony Corey, Bertie Williams in 1972. And the embassy which was canvas tents, was produced in response to, among many other things, when Prime Minister at the time, Billy McMahon, put out a policy statement on Indigenous land rights. And he chose, of all the days, to finally speak about Indigenous land rights, January 26th, which is Invasion Day. Some people know it as Australia Day, but it's Invasion Day. And so that's when he went out, gave this policy, and he said in no uncertain terms, his government would never grant land rights to Aboriginal peoples. So the Black Power Movement in Redfern, Australia, which is a suburb of Sydney at the time, which Gary Foley was a member of, said, we have to do something. Also the history, I do not have time for this, But the intertwining of the Black Power movement in Australia with the Black Power and Black Panther movement in the U.S. is 
fascinating. Gary Foley at all says we need to do something in protest of this. They'd sent a few people, like four people, to the lawns of parliament in Canberra. And they expected that maybe they would get a few photos, maybe some press would come before they got arrested. That was their best hope, that we'll put up the tent on the lawn of parliament, and before we get arrested, maybe we'll get some press. But in a very interesting loophole, one in which I think we can rethink where different powers, the idea that these people are in the same fight is ridiculous, right? That they are all maybe in the same ring in this space of Australia, but the fight they are having is very different. And I'm really interested in that. So they go to this space of government to Canberra, but the loophole is that it is perfectly legal to camp on the lawns of parliament. And so they're like, great. And they set up more tents and they were there for six months. And Gary Foley directly attributes that protest to the Australian Labor Party's change in policy to support land rights because the head of the Labor Party came out and said, hey, I love what you're doing. And they were able to directly say, you say we'll never have land rights too. And they talked and then they the, they officially changed their party line. And um, Richard Bell calls the Aboriginal embassy the greatest piece of performance art of all time. And so during his work at the Venice Biennale, he recreated it. And I think that's a really interesting reperformance of that in the art world, that he was allowed to be there. He's a big enough artist that no one's like, get out of here. But he's outside the officially sanctioned space of the Venice Biennale. He's not the chosen artist. So that recreation of the Aboriginal tent embassy is really important, especially because Gary Foley and the other protesters said, we are not petitioning our Congress people. We're not here to talk to them in that way. This is an embassy because we are Aboriginal peoples. We're not Australian. We don't want to be Australian. We were here 80,000 years before they got here. Why would we want to claim that? We want secession. We want them to get out of here. And that's what that is. And so I think in a lot of ways, I like Richard Bell's thing. He's not the Australian artist for the Venice Biennale. He is the Aboriginal artist for the Venice Biennale. It's, all, it's also just very funny. He's a hilarious artist. He wore a, a helmet like a football helmet most of the time. And he, because he said he's part of a sports team, which includes his video producers, project backers, anyone housing him in Venice, anyone helped that helped give him money. He is so big on like resisting the myth of the individual and playing into collaboration and embracing community. He says art is a team game too. And if you want to point to the lone genius, I'll point you to their team. There's no such thing as a lone genius. Even Van Gogh had his brother. That's something very dear to my heart, this idea of the lone genius, the auteur. No, no. And so just watching video of him there, he would like wear a sports helmet. He'd have a ball. He'd take a knee, have his ball. He's like, okay, we're going to talk about how neoliberalism and late capitalism impacts the art world. And when someone asked him like, well, what's your team fighting? He's like, capitalism. 
I'm still working on on where this this essay is going. Is the piece that you're writing, is it specifically about him or is he something that's part of a larger conversation? Like, were you doing this research because your piece is about Richard Bell or were you using Richard Bell as part of a larger argument? This is, this, the reason I think I'm having trouble talking about it is I've always wanted to write about Richard Bell and I've never had the right thing, but this is from an essay that was rotting on the vine that was about fighting and wrestling. And I could, I couldn't do anything with it. There was nothing to be done with it. It was all about fighting and wrestling. I talked about a lot of movies. I talked about Gauguin and I had this idea about like, if you're looking for a fight, what are the structures of powers and fighting? How do you, can you force knowledge onto people can you, and this, this, that we are like aggressively certain right now that this idea of fighting, and I mean physical fighting, I'm going to punch you in the face. I can't get rid of this moment. I was in a cafe right after Donald Trump won the election and this, or he, he was inaugurated and this little, there are these two little boys roughhousing and one of them's like, I'm the president. I'm going to punch you in the face. And I was like, mm. yeah, that's, that's where we are. So this idea of what is the aggressive certainty it takes to punch someone in the face and say, I'm right. And I'm going to do it. And now we're in a world where like, I'm watching videos of anti-maskers literally attacking school children. So this has been on my mind. And then like two years ago, I made you read it. I wrote this essay on fighting and wrestling and epiphanies and I need to do something with it. And so I saw the Richard Bell us versus them boxing video. I'm like, that's it. And then I just went down such a rabbit hole of researching his, his activist work and Gary Foley's activist work. And I'm at that stage where I'm so deep in the research. I love everything. And so I can't filter anything. You know that? Yes. Yes. I know that. I know that area. Well, yep. You're learning it all for the first time and you know, the world knows about it. So right. You you're like, but you're going to do with it. You've got to hear all these things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's you guys just got, I'm sorry that that was probably boring research. You guys got to look into my mind of like, oh, I'm interested in this and this and this and this. No, it, I mean, I think it's very interesting. I do. You talked about him. Um, I did. And but, I can't remember why. But I can't remember because I don't think it was just here's Richard Bell. Like, I think it was you had a different research thing and you tied him into it somehow. Like we didn't get all these details. And I'm trying I to remember what I it did. was. Okay. Well, everyone, now you know more. Now you know more. more. About Deeper. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's how real research works is it just keeps plopping back up again and again and again. It gets a little bigger each time. It's like those trees with their interconnected root systems. Ooh. Yeah. That's how, that's how my research works. And then hopefully someday a beautiful little aspen tree will pop up and get published. <laughs> get published. But underneath it. <laughs> underneath it. It's, it's a just, mess. <laughs> I've tried to decide what order I want to do my research thing in. I think I'm just going to make you take this quiz real quick to start. Yay. I love it when you make me take quizzes. <laughs> I'm not going to give you any context. Just go take this quiz. <laughs> what was that face? <laughs> Zimbardo time perspective inventory. That's what that is. Okay. I'm yes. assuming Zimbardo is a name, but it's Zimbardo a, is a researcher's it just, name. It just for a second felt very like 
like from another planet it's or because something. I'm still reading this Hank Green book oh, that yeah. you suggested. And so everything to me is like aliens. Why aren't there choices that are both true and untrue? <laughs> I need that. It gives me pleasure to think about my past. Well, sometimes and sometimes it keeps me up all night in horrific ways. In those, I went with neutral when I was yeah. like, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Well, then neutral. <laughs> you were vigorous head nodding, vigorous head oh, shaking. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I had somewhere like I was neutral, like, very, neutral, very, neutral. very untrue. I need to be all the way on this end. Yeah. I have a, I, I have a suspicion about our scores and how they will or will not align. What if I enjoy getting work done on time? It says, I feel it's more important to enjoy what you're doing than to get work done on time. What well, I so enjoy- I think that means, I interpreted that to mean if there's something that I like, like if I want to go watch TV, it's fine for me to miss this deadline so I can go do it. Right. That's, that's how I felt about that one too. Very untrue. <laughs> Okay. Thank you. Thanks for taking our survey. Compare your score to the graph below. A summary on the different time perspectives is here. Oh, I don't know what I'm looking at, Michelle. At the very top, there's a list of your individual scores. Tell me those. Past negative, 3.4. Past positive, 3.56. Present fatalistic, 2.11. Present hedonistic, 3.27. Future, 4.31. Michelle is nodding. Her lips are like, "Mm, uh Mm -hmm, uh mm uh-huh. Do you want to hear mine? (laughs) Yes. And then I'll tell you what they mean. Yes, Um, I do. So present or past negative three. Past positive, 2.67. Present fatalistic, 1.89. Present hedonistic, 2.87. Future, 4.38. So for those of you just joining us after our long silence, uh, so I gave Catherine a link that I will send so that you can take it yourself. And it is a inventory to determine your own time perspective. This comes from Stanford psychology professor, Philip Zimbardo, who coined the term and says that our time perspective influences our judgments, decisions, and actions. His research suggests that there, that we have the power to intentionally shift Um, our focus. And in particular, he was interested in how shifting more toward being future focused could help students achieve in higher ed so that it would help them like not procrastinate and get their assignments done and things like that. But this is, this is a big thing. Like I was looking through when I just searched for Zimbardo time perspective on like Google scholar, there was a bunch of articles in lots of different disciplines. Um, using it to like compare different cultures or compare different countries. And this is there, there, this has been used to like make some broad sweeping generalizations about groups of people, as well as like an individualistic self-help sort of tool. Right. And so um, some of the things that they've found is that individualistic societies tend to have more future focused people than collectivist ones, whereas collectivist um, societies tend to have more attention to the past, especially positive past memories, like 
thinking about traditions and the things that the people did together in a way that is positive. And uh, richer communities tend to have more future-focused people, whereas poorer people tend to be more present-focused. And the reason, so I'm going to come back to Zimbardo, but first I'm going to talk about how I got here. So the reason that I was thinking about this. How did you find this? Yes. So the reason that I was thinking, because this is not my field of expertise or research, but I have been thinking a lot. I I know that I am a very future-focused person and my results from this confirmed that, but I was not at all surprised by that. But throughout my entire life, I'm constantly being told either directly by like, oh, you, you, Michelle, you individual need to think less about the future and spend more time in the present. Or I'm told that like in the collective sense of like these self-help, you know, like people who are in the present are happier, right? People who are in the present are better balanced and all of those things, right? Yeah, see, well, we are both very future focused I people. Just, I see your face. As you say this, I, I I realize, like, I understand that's true. But when you said, oh, people who do that are more, I'm like, how could you be? If you have work to do, you got to get that work done, man. Because <laughs> it is, it, so there's, there's a lot of debate over like, is our perspective on time is the, it's, it's the nature versus nurture debate, right? Are you just born with like a cognitive hardwiring toward, no, this is how I see the world. And like, this is how I make plans. And this is, I am focused on the future versus I'm dwelling in the past. So, so yeah, so there's a bunch of debate over like how much of it is it, I mean, things like birth order or where you're born or a lot of it um, has to do with like just stability. So like some research into future focused versus present focused also taps into like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it's like in order to be future focused, you need your basic needs met that a lot of people who are focused on the present, especially like the fatalistic present are just trying to survive. And so probably the most famous research that has to do with future focused versus present focused people is that marshmallow experiment. Do you know about this? Yes. Yes. Where they say marshmallow don't eat it if you wait you get more marshmallows exactly and they do it with kids like as young as four and then they use this to make these sweeping generalizations like that the kids who couldn't wait to eat the marshmallow will be criminals and fail school and but then there's been a lot of pushback on that that's like or it's just a predictor of whether or not that kid has food at home and is used to being able to know that there will be food later. Or if they're like, well, no, there's food, I'm going to eat it because I don't know when I'm going to get another meal, right? And probably living in a house where you don't know where your next meal is coming from is has some correlation with criminality and poor ac- academic outcomes because you don't do that great when you don't know if you're going to get to eat or yeah. not, right? So like- even like. How much do you trust authority figures to do what they say they're going to do for you? Right. Oh, you're going to bring me do more marshmallows eat? later? Yeah, right. I'm eating these marshmallows yeah, no, now, no. right? F this. I'll take the, mush- <laughs> the marshmallow in front of me. I don't believe you. Yes. So, and I, like, whenever I've tried to look into, like, the future focus, present focus, that's the thing that's always come up. And I think that is interesting. But that is not the question that I was trying to answer, which for is for very personal, selfish reasons, which is, can I tell people to shut up and leave me alone? (laughs) (laughs) How I live my life is fine. I took a 60-question test with a very complicated (laughs) graph to find that out. (laughs) Exactly. So you back off. And you leave me with my list and you go about your day. 
thinking about the things that are currently happening to you. And um, I'm thinking about what's going to happen and what can happen and what may or may not happen until the end of my days. So there is a lot of research into, and this is particularly around like mindfulness and whether it makes you happier to be mindful and present focused. And that is a philosophy that's that comes up in a lot of um, religious practices and a lot of spiritual practices. And so there's a lot of, well, is this true, Right. And so uh, there was a study that did find that people's moment by moment happiness shows that reminiscing or daydreaming, so either like thinking about the past or daydreaming about the future, makes people less happy. But then there was another study that said, does it or is it just that when you are unhappy, you tend to daydream or reminisce because if you're happy, you stay focused on the present. And if you're not, so like it's correlation versus causation, right? Like, were you thinking about the future because you were just not satisfied with what was happening in the present or were you dissatisfied in the present because you were thinking about the future? It's very hard for researchers to know, but there is this quote um, from one of those. And I I'll put this in the show notes too. It said a human mind is a wandering mind and a wandering mind is an unhappy mind. The ability to think about what is not happening is a cognitive achievement that comes at an emotional cost. And so there's just sort of this general idea that it, it, I mean, this is, this is the human condition, right? If you could just exist in your little bubble and not ever have to think about, well, what is about to happen to me or what has already happened to me? And you're just in this exact moment, like, I mean, we say that that's what separates us from like animals, though I think some of our more recent research suggests maybe not, right? But mm-hmm. still, it separates us from our the way that we conceive of animals of not having this like ability to plan, right? Right, right. Or ability to reminisce. And so that it is a cognitive achievement, right? That we we are capable of imagining futures that do not yet exist. And we are capable of spending time in past, even past that we did not personally experience through like reading history and learning from, and like a lot of human achievement comes from not being present focused, right? Comes yeah. from learning from the past or thinking about the future. And I am just, I get frustrated on a personal level when people are like, oh, you should, you, you know, like self-care is about, you know, taking care of yourself in the present. And I'm like, no, all of my self-care is taking care of future me. Every single successful self-care practice that I have done is going, what am I going to need in 10 days or five days or tomorrow that I can take care of right now so that that future me is not stressed out. And I just like, I just fundamentally disagree that that is the wrong way to approach things, right? Like (laughs) I, I know for a fact that if I make food on Sunday so that we will have meals cooked throughout the week, that everybody eats better food and we are all functioning humans in a better way, right? Like I know for a fact that when I like sit down and map out what I need to do for work for, I mean, you know, I I run my own business. I could not do that if I was, if I wasn't future focused, right? Like I, so I, I spent a long time like reflecting, like, is this a flaw in my personality that needs to be worked on? Cause I have flaws that I need to work on, but I just don't think this is one of them. It's not that you're not willing to admit that there are flaws, but this, I spend a whole lot of money on counseling to deal with flaws. I just don't think this is one of them. I just, I just don't think it is. And so, um, 
Another research study, this is a 2017 study called Being Present, Focusing on the Present Predicts Improvements in Life Satisfaction, but Not Happiness by Felsman et al. They found that being present focused makes people less engaged in negative rumination, which can enhance cognitive well-being, but need not improve how one feels in the moment. So basically that if you're constantly thinking of negative things that happened in the past, that that can distract you from like your cognitive well-being. But that's not, that's not my, like I am... I don't get stuck in the past very often. I mostly am like, okay, what can I do today that will make tomorrow and 10 days from now and a month from now and sometimes even five years from now better? Like that is yeah. that is the frame that I use to look this at the world. Very ant versus grasshopper at a base <laughs> level. Yes, yes. It's all I can think about. And that. That ant froze to, I mean, the grasshopper, the grasshopper. The grasshopper froze to death. But, froze to but death. don't they make the ant look like such a just terrible person? That ant is a hero. That ant, who else? <laughs> Only to the little like red us. hen that made the bread. Yes. Help me make oh this bread. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. That, that brings to me to my follow-up question. How many of these people telling you that you're too future-focused depend on your plan? Oh my gosh, I you don't, like, I probably shouldn't talk about that publicly, but yes. <laughs> Redacted, redacted, redacted. redacted. <laughs> so no, absolutely. Well, and a lot of people are like, oh, you seem so stressed out. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> the thing that I made you take is from Zimbardo. And it is the first thing that I've found that is actually addressing the question that I had instead of this like, you know, um, delayed gratification, who's going to become a criminal kind of like this, this, this felt much more useful for an individual trying to figure out because Zimbardo basically says like you have control, like you can train yourself to, to go more or less in different areas, right? Like this is not, he does not believe that it's like baked into your cognitive, like that you have to look at the world this way. He thinks that we have preferences that are built out of a combination of our genetics and our upbringing, but that we can train ourselves to look at the world through different lenses. And that complicated chart that they show you at the end, it is mapping their ideal. So this is what they've found. I was going to say, Michelle, though, doesn't the implication of training yourself to think differently, that implies that there is a correct way to think. They absolutely say that there, so I, I disagree. Does this help you or hurt you? No, I, 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 I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. Okay. But okay. These are Simbardo's five main types. So the five main types of time perspective you can have is one past negative, where you tend to focus on negative personal experiences of the past. Um, this can cause you to become a bitter, regretful person. So this is kind of associated with bitterness and anger over the past. There is the past positive person who tends to focus on nostalgia, but that person tends to be very risk averse. So it kind of takes a better safe than sorry approach to life. There is the present hedonistic point of view that is pleasure seeking in the moment. That person is usually very popular and well-liked and kind of the life of the party, but they tend to have risky lifestyles um, and instability. There is the present fatalistic person that is trapped in the moment. So they are focused on the moment, but they are focused on like the anxiety, the depression, and they end up doing risk-taking because of the desperation of trying to- They're so, for various reasons, whether that's anxiety or depression or something else, they, they just don't have the allotment, the capacity to think of the future. And I think that a lot of people who are trapped in like 
survival mode would be present fatalistic, right? Like I have to, you know, I have to get this bus route. I missed the bus. And and then future focus tend to be ambitious goal oriented people, but it can cause stress for the individual and put strain on their relationships. (laughs) And both of us buying away future was the highest for both of us by far. There is, if you're interested, I won't make you do it right now, but there is a sixth one, which is transcendental future, which I think is very interesting because it has questions about whether you think that there is a future beyond your life, right? So it's about like, do you think there's an afterlife? Um, (laughs) I'm sorry to laugh. And yeah, thank goodness for good therapy where I would go to yoga for relaxation. Yoga is relaxing. And I would get so anxious that I would black out, just completely black out. I would keep doing yoga, but I had have no memory of it. And it was usually just, I would start being like, I'm going to die someday. What is death? And then I would just be gone. So (laughs) I don't think I would do well on that one. You should, you should take it. You should take it. I should take it. It's it's only like 10 questions. My therapist helped me. I have a yoga mantra mantra now, because you can have a mantra in yoga that you say again and again. And so if I ever feel that creeping in when I'm doing yoga, I just say, death comes for us all. Death comes for us all. Death comes for us all. So if you ever see me on a yoga mat and I look really peaceful, I'm probably in my head going, death comes for us all. Death comes for us all. I can understand why that's comforting. I, yeah, no, I I agree. Thank you for understanding, Michelle. I do. I I truly do. I, I, you really should take the transcendental future one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Interesting. So um, my scores, so the, the ideal score for past negative is 2.1. We were both much higher than that. So I am plus 0.9 higher than that. And you are plus 1.3 higher than that. Is that yep. right? Personally, I think that my past negative has to do with like just some shitty things happened to me in the past. And I don't like, what am I supposed I'm, to Because I've been working really hard. Based on our, okay, yeah, I'm not in therapy now. Past positive, they say that the ideal is 3.67, which you are very close to. Like you are like, right. you're almost there. I am at one full point behind. But again, I just don't like I mean, depending on where the memories are coming from, there's just not that many good ones. And like my, like if we're talking about the deep nostalgia stuff, I'm like, no, those were all shitty. Um, but no, that's not this. I mean, I've lived a lot of life since then and there are great memories. I just don't think about the past that much. Like I'm just not a very, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the past good or bad. I'm like, oh, yeah, it happened. Like what? You know, just kind of move past on. Is past. Come on. Although, you know, I now know that it sometimes is still lurking under like the tree roots. <laughs> Still, I think still those under there are really going to help us out, and the Kanye mas- mask is going to really hurt us. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Present fatalistic. So this is like yeah. the I'm trapped in the present. They say that the ideal for present fatalistic is 1.67, and mine is 1.89. So good I'm job. real, real, real good there. Yours is a little high. Just a little, high. Just a little high. Um, my present hedonistic. They say that the ideal for present hedonistic, which is the highest on all of their ideals, is 4.33. And mine is 2.87. Oh, womp, 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 womp. That is my biggest deficit. That's my biggest mismatch. 
Um, yours is 3.27. So you're, you're, yeah. you're closer than me, but still we're both more than one full point below what they say it should be. And then I, I mean, all, all fermented cranberry juice aside, you and I are not often the life of the, that's not no, our defining attribute. No. Like, they're the life of the party, man. They're not, not the life of the party. I don't have any problem delaying gratification. Like I, I barely <laughs> am. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> this just speaks to me in many ways. I don't have like a, like I need it now drive very often at all. Right. Like it's just not, I don't know. I'm not judging anyone who does. It just doesn't ring true to me. Like most of the fun is planning the treat and like waiting for it. I like that a lot. Like I'll be like, if I do all my work on Sunday, I get a nice yes. day. Yeah. And it very rarely is the experience itself that makes, like it's, it's, it's the planning. I like, I, I like planning things more than I like doing them. It's, it's completing the work and knowing it's done and yeah. waking up Sunday knowing it's done. And then it doesn't even matter what treat I've planned. Right. Yeah, no, I'm, which is why we're probably the wrong people to be having this conversation together <laughs> yep. because I bet there's a, bet there's a lot of layers of nuance that could be had if we had people with some different scores, which is why I was like, we're going to have very similar scores. And then we're just going to be like, what are these people talking about? Like, like, I can't even understand. <laughs> like, I don't sleep well if I haven't finished my to-do list. Womp, womp. So my, they say that the ideal future score is 3.69 and I'm, um, plus 0.69 higher than that. And you are, we're almost identical there. 4.31. So yeah. Yeah. According to this scale and their advice, then I would need to be a little less future focused and quite a bit more of that hedonistic present or whatever. And I just, I don't want to, I've thought about it a lot and I like being future focused. And if it does cause me additional stress, it also gives me extra rewards. Like I, I feel like, and I feel like in the broader sense, this discussion of like hedonist, because it's that's their highest. They say that it should be 4.33 and future should be 3.69. I feel like it gets us into so much trouble we because- We can't all be grasshoppers. Right. Some of us have to be the ant that annoys everybody. Well, and it, it makes me think like on a collective scale, like how many companies are choosing to put their food in the cheap package that can't be recycled or composted because of their pre- present hedonistic yeah. desire? How many, like, how many problems do we have because we don't have enough future focus? And I'm not saying that we all need to, like, I, I don't, my problem with this scale is that it bothers me that there is an ideal that everybody's supposed to ascribe yeah. to. Like, why can't we say, oh, we have very different ways of framing time perspective and the grasshopper play music for the ant while he works so that's more enjoyable for him exactly like and just so many things are like this that we try to find like the norm that we're all supposed to instead of being like oh and I'm this I'm sorry this is taking so long but um (laughs) I I think about it a lot with like educational stuff right so instead of being like oh, you have ADHD, so you can't sit still. We're going to, like, you have to find a way for you to sit in this chair instead of us being like, maybe this kid could just learn while jumping on a trampoline. Maybe this kid doesn't need to sit down to learn. Like, yeah. when we find abnormalities between how people see the world, our 
first instinct is, well, how do we norm it, right? How do we get everybody back in the same space? And we call that like equality or equity, but. Oh, I feel like, let me do a pre-connection before I forget. Pre-connection. That like, I'm talking about how Richard Bell's art and activism work is trying to point out how no matter what you do and no matter what like Western enlightenment and liberalism does, we are not in the same position and nor should we be. Yeah. And, and it also suggests that like, you kind of have to do it all yourself, which is just not true. Like why can't we just exist in our weird little spheres and figure out how to connect them to other people so that we end up with a balanced perspective. Right. I mean, from everyone according to their ability to everyone according to their need, man. (laughs) Come on. For time perspective. I am going to say that you're over here being like, yay, future focused, but you you really uh, penalize TV shows for doing that. (laughs) No, I I penalize them because they have not made a full plan. (laughs) Okay. Okay. They, they don't have their to-do list. Hedonistic. You're saying that leaving it with a cliffhanger is actually present hedonist. Yes. They're just trying to get their funding for today instead of actually tell a good story. Okay. 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 <laughs> All right. So I don't feel like I have a neat little bow for my research thing, but that is my research thing. Well, don't have a neat. It's going to be hard enough to get our neat little bow now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hubris for last week being last fortnight being so easy so should we recap let's recap okay weird thing mine was that the largest living organism at least by weight is pando the quaking aspen system in utah and mine was the very depressing fact that in 1986 a giant Pub bubble of CO2 killed everyone within a 15 mile radius when it came up from a lake. Okay. My pop culture was Kanye West. Not, I mean, like his long line of masks, but the most recent mask that he wore to meet with Michael Cohen, which was like a realistic white woman mask. My pop culture thing is um, getting upset at TV shows that spend their last episode of a season trying to set up the next season instead of just being a good story. And my research was about Richard Bell's artwork at the 2019 Venice Biennale and how that links to the Aboriginal Tent Embassy of 1972. My research thing was Stanford psychology professor Philip Zambardo's time perspective scale and what that tells us about being future focused versus present focused versus kind of past focused, but mostly future versus present. Michelle's way of saying she's okay. I'm fine. Leave me alone. (laughs) You eat her bread, leave her alone. (laughs) Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> <sighs> <sighs> I got nothing. I did that pre-linking about like, oh, you're we have to understand like trying to do a generalization or normalizing things hurts everyone, and that worked for those two things. For those two things, um. 
I have, I don't think there's any way it works for. For anything else. Well, definitely we can, we can use the tree roots under the surface for. That's such a good metaphor. Virtually like, anything. That like our fortune cookie, like roots. Connect us all. Like roots can be so big and they connect us all. It's big, man. Big. Life's big. And if 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 we can't find something to connect us, there are roots that will connect us that you can't see and we can't see, but they're there. Even even Ye's masks are part of the same system. I feel like there's something there with like under the surface, but well, with the depressing under the surface of the lake <gasps> is the CO2 waiting to kill kill us okay. all. It needs to be more complex, but does under the surface work for everything? All right. Because I mean, the mask, I, I mean, masks are always about covering the surface, right? Like yeah, creating exactly. a new surface. That works for the lake, but I don't know if it works for... The metaphor of like different fights and different positionalities isn't the Richard Bell isn't really an under the surface. No. And your research isn't under the surface. And the TV shows aren't really under the surface. They're more like a split, maybe. Okay. Maybe a split is better. Maybe time can be our metaphor. Time is a good metaphor. How we think about time. This is this is a really hard one. I think this is our this is our hardest one. Our and hardest last week was one. our easiest one. What have we done to ourselves? I mean, we just death comes for us all. <laughs> death comes for us all. Even you under that mask, Kanye. Maybe not. Maybe he's doing something we don't know about, so death doesn't come for him. Maybe. Mm. And also, mm, I think that goes against my weird thing because it's so old and death has not come for those Aspens. Is, Is there something about delayed gratification? Okay, 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 okay. Okay, because Aspens do do this thing, and I'm going to get the science of this so wrong, but there are, like, a lot, like, their leaves don't hold a lot of their energy. One of the reasons their bark can photosynthesize is because usually in trees, the leaves or the pine needles hold so much energy, and they're just working all their time. They're sucking up stuff from the soil. They're getting light so they can put energy into the leaves or the pine needles, and that's really important. And they're working, working, working. But the aspens don't work like that. They're much slower. Because the bark can photosynthesize, right? Yeah, and their leaves fall more. And it's in part because, like, that goes back into the soil. The soil around aspens is actually much richer, and it's helping the whole ecosystem and community a lot more, where some trees just drain it, right? They take all that energy. They take all those nutrients the aspens actually are giving back and they're aiding in all these systems and everything that like interweaves with their roots, fungus that grows on them. They're helping those things. Okay. So I feel so, like that, that so delayed gratification fits there. And 
with the season two, season one, like the, like, if you, I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? Like if you were just willing to have the delayed gratification, we wouldn't have the problem that I'm complaining about, right? Like that it, that we have created this problem where we have to have like the payoff now in order to prove we won't wait for it to show itself. Okay. Delayed gratification for Kanye West's masks. I mean, I feel like his whole public persona and project has been delayed gratification. I mean, he delayed his album a lot. Well, it's been kind of a, like something is coming. Just trust me for a long time. Right. Like that. He's like, I've got this big thing. Go. I mean, he said he was going to build these like homeless shelter. Oh, that's not. That was not. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and now he's like selling off that whole land. Right. So like his, I mean, I think a lot of his, statements about his own fame because you know he's come out and said all that like i'm a genius i'm the best it's ever been but he just keeps telling us like just like, just you wait and you're gonna his, see it right like his whole careers is based on delayed gratification since at least like late registration maybe yeah yeah i think the masks are part of this ongoing like what is he doing it's yeah. all for a plan yeah. Yeah. I, no, I think it's part of keeping people talking about what is he doing instead of talking about what he is doing, right? Like, I think so. How does my research end? Do you have any ideas? I have some well, ideas, but I feel weird about them. So I kind of feel weird about them too. Like, I think that in some ways, the entire the history of the aboriginals saying like get out like what we want is for you to get out like that i mean it's almost like their whole movement has been an argument in delayed gratification right that like eventually oh well especially the example that you gave from the 70s like when they camped out on that on the lawn they were not expecting that to make an immediate change right like they were looking for a long term like we are going to slowly change hearts and minds around this topic. And they did get the other party to write it into their, into their platform. Um, and, and so I think just what gets defined as a success in that kind of activism work is all about delayed gratification because they yeah. certainly have not gotten the thing that they're asking for. Right. And, yeah. and to be able to kind of like, it sounds like Richard Bell has a lot of fun with it in the meantime, right? Like is doing these kind of like mocking funny works. And I think that that comes out of a sort of like, you know, we're slowly working towards something better and maybe I'm not going to see it in my life, but hopefully we're moving the needle. Right. Like, and so I think yeah. that, that whole Gary Foley has said basically exactly that he's like, the goal is secession. The goal is to secede from Australia, to be something different. I'm not going to see that in my lifetime, but that doesn't mean I don't think it will happen. I think this can happen. So, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that, that that's definitely um and a lot of a lot of oppressed groups fighting for their rights like delayed gratification is a pillar of their ability to keep going right because so often the work that that especially the trailblazers do does not get any results right but it does as long as you look at it on a long enough time scale if you're like oh well this allowed for this to happen which allowed for this to like but you know the people who originally started it never got to live to see the fruits of that labor. Right. So I think that that's definitely delayed gratification. Yeah. And then of course, (laughs) that yours is all about that. 
Yours, your, yeah. your research yeah. with time about how, why do you and I love delaying gratification? Not even love it, but it's just, we couldn't, we couldn't imagine anything else. No, no. It's literally how my brain works. Like, um, so the only thing that we haven't connected to it then is oh, the, no, the death burp, <laughs> but I mean, I think that it is still about, um, delay, delay for time. sure. And the idea that like, if you don't go siphon it off, there is this terrible thing wait that is going to come into the future so that like you are going to like you need to be future focused enough to be like I don't want that to happen so I have to do this action today even though the odds of it happening to me are very low so I'm not just doing it to save myself I am going to put the work in to put these pipes in to siphon this off so that it doesn't happen to anybody you know like so that we can um so like I'm not necessarily the gratification here being not dying. Yes. To continue to breathe is yeah. great gratification. Even though death comes for us all, but it doesn't have to come all at once for all living things in a 15 mile radius. It does not. We can, pre- we can prevent that. Yes. Let's delay that. Okay. okay so so de- delayed gratification. What do we make it say? It's not like, it's not something simple like it's worth the wait because our topics are too. <laughs> it's worth so- the wait. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I feel like we could do something catchy with like, what's the thing? Like why put off today what you can do tomorrow? Or why put off till tomorrow what you can, what do, you can do today? today? Is there a play with that with like why delay why gratify today what you could delay till tomorrow? No, no. I mean, I think it's something like, is it worth the wait? <laughs> like, um, because some of our examples, it definitely is, right? But do you, I, I know you hate it when I make the fortune cookies too short, but oh my gosh, how much would you love opening a fortune cookie? And it's like, is it worth the wait? I'm, I'm, I'm imagining, I'm putting myself in the moment. Is it worth the wait? Because I mean, honestly, like that's the question you're supposed to ask, right? Like, I don't think it's, should you be more future focused or more present focused? You should, it should be a contextualized decision about each individual thing. Like, is Ye's antics worth the wait? Is he going to create some giant piece of art that's going to blow us all away? I doubt it. <laughs> like, it feels like, but like and then, is working towards aboriginal land rights and like decolonizing australia worth the wait yeah is siphoning the co2 out of the bottom of the lake so that we don't have a mass death an extinction event for a 15 mile radius worth it yeah 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 Yeah. and then all those tv shows i don't know i don't know if it's worth the wait i that's the problem yeah it doesn't have to be yes or no you just have to like this can be a mantra for you to meditate on. Is it worth, Is it worth the, wait? the wait? So then you can decide, should you continue to delay gratification or should you maybe just say, I'm not going to wait for that thing anymore? Or is do you have to admit to yourself, there's no gratification to be had? Mm. Yeah, I That's accept so it. negative. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we had several pretty heavy things in here. So I think it has to have a little bit of negativity. Are you going to eat that marshmallow? 
You're going to yeah. eat that marshmallow, guys? What are you going to do? It's sitting there. It's right there. Is another marshmallow really worth the wait? Squish, squish. No, that should be, it should just be squish, squish. <laughs> okay, that's actually it. Squish, squish. <laughs> it's one of those lucky fortune cookies and you get two. Is it worth the wait? Squish, squish. squish. Done. See you in a fortnight. Guys, this one was really hard. I hope you understand. <laughs> it's it's really late, and it is. It got very late. I have to go look at all the memes of you, <laughs> Michelle. You need to go sleep off your flu shot. I do need to go sleep off my flu shot. It's it's kicking my butt this time. I mean, is it worth the wait? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Squish, 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 squish. And I hope you think we're worth the wait. Until next fortnight, goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.